Welcome everybody back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew. And of course, I got my co-host Matt here with me. The New York Jets had themselves a very Merry Christmas as it so turned out. A lot of games falling in their way to put themselves back in a playoff hunt with two games to go. Looking ahead to a road trip with the Seattle Seahawks in week 17 before another road trip to take on the Miami Dolphins. That could very well be a win and in scenario for both teams. Matt, we got a lot to talk about. Mike White is back cleared to play after two weeks being out with a rib injury. The short week of a Thursday night game against Jacksonville, making that a little tougher. This could be an opportunity for the Jets after the. Patriots were able to lose to the Bengals and the Packers beat the Dolphins, setting themselves up for a a path to survive in the playoffs. This could be a real big opportunity for them, but it's all going to start with this uh, first next game coming up in Seattle against the Seahawks. Let's jump right into it, Matt. I want to throw things to you to kick off talking offensively and specifically talking about Mike White. What can Mike White do to improve this offense that's really, really been stuttering without him in the lineup? Yeah, uh, well, this offense has had two key pain points. It's the quarterback. Actually, I'm going to say three main pain points. It's been the quarterback uh, being unable to do the most basic things with the Zach. And then you have the offensive line between uh, putting us behind the sticks with penalties or just being unable to win their one-on-ones and being effective run blockers. Uh, and then you have uh, LaFleur, who's been pretty... Uh, uncreative in the face of of near playoff elimination, uh, just showing the unwillingness to do anything different, to show even the mere morsel of creativity to maybe do something different and expect a different result. Uh, between those three, we've been struggling. So having White back, I think, solves maybe all three of these problems. You have Lafleur not being playing, uh, calling his game scared. Maybe he opens things up a little bit more with White, knowing that he can trust him to do the basic minimum things that we're asking a quarterback to do. And now that we have a quarterback that has the threat to throw the ball, uh, that might open things up on in the run game, uh, facing one of the worst run defense teams in the league with uh, Seattle's run defense. Uh, so if we have the threat of a pass, that means they can no longer stack the box. Um, that's of course, no sure thing, uh, given that our offensive line hasn't shown at all, maybe outside of the bills game that they have what it takes to win their one-on-ones consistently. Uh, but it, this would sure help. So between the two of those things and just white being the effective quarterback that he's shown to be, I think that our offense has what it takes to really spark something in this game. They really should hope so. I mean, this is a Seattle defense that has really not been playing well at all throughout most of the year. I know Tariq Woolen gets a lot of hype as a good rookie corner, and he's got a really good passer rating when targeted. And he's got a lot of inter- interceptions, and he's played well. I'm not trying to knock that whatsoever. But he's also given up a lot of yards. He's also been targeted a lot as a result because he's given up a lot of yards. And in a lot of ways, it's similar to more of a Trevon Diggs in uh, Dallas where you have a guy that takes chances and gets beat but lives off recovery speed, and sometimes he's able to get back and sometimes he isn't, that can lead to interceptions. It can also lead to giving up a lot of plays and coverage. And for the first time in two weeks, you have a Jets offense that has a real threat of a passing game. I mean, we saw against the Lions from Zach Wilson a couple of splash plays down the field where 
it's a bootleg sort of concept and they roll him out and he's only making one read down the field and he's not really reading a defense or, or going through any progressions. It's I got one guy, we're taking a shot. This is the only dude I have to throw to. And, and that's it. He doesn't really have to think any further than just executing out the play call. You have the throwback to use uh, CJ Uzama. That was a big touchdown, same sort of deal where he's this rolls out as this long bootleg going across the field, flips back the other way. And the only guy he's looking at is Uzama running this juke route, going back to the inside Outside of those few splash plays, and it's especially against Jacksonville, there was nothing from the passing game. There's absolutely nothing where every time Wilson dropped back to throw, I mean, it was lucky if it was completed on a lot of uh, occasions. And there was often times when he would just drop back and have the complete deer in the headlights of, I don't know what I'm doing and crumble and get sacked before anything could happen. You have defenses that have been able to load the box and just dare this team to throw knowing they can't for the last couple of weeks. That's made things a lot harder on the run game. And we've said all year, this offensive line is needed to be better. And we really aren't happy with the performance of some of these veterans. We really would have expected them to be able to carry things along and be the leaders that we were hoping they'd be before the season started. But it's also a lot harder to succeed when you have no threat of a passing game to back you up and teams can just stack the box as much as they want. So for Mike White in particular, having a guy under center that you know is going to get the ball out on time, that if they blitz him, he's going to have an answer for it, that he's not going to get caught in a, a lapse in protection and let a guy come running free. And if he does, he'll have the wherewithal to be able to shuffle in the pocket or just get the ball out fast enough to avoid the hit. You have a guy that you're confident shouldn't turn the ball over. That's been pretty safe with the ball throughout most of his starts this year. And you have a guy, most importantly, that you know when it's crunch time. And if you get into those third and long situations that you tried to avoid and have been the Achilles heel of this offense recently, you know you have a guy that can make the make something happen and keep the chains moving. And I think that, first and foremost for this offense, you have to find a way to back this defense off from the Seattle Seahawks, because I quite honestly, Matt, I think you would agree with this. I think the Seahawks, even though Mike White is back, it's not going to be the, oh my gosh, it's Mike White. We need to respect him like he's Patrick Mahomes and and completely dictate our coverage to defend this quarterback. I think they're going to want to prove that this team can pass protect. They're going to want to prove that Mike White is healthy, and they're going to want to prove that they have that threat of a passing game, and until otherwise, they're going to load up to stop the run because they know that's what has stopped the Jets' offense. And if it's worked, why try and do something else? So you, as Mike White and the quarterback in this scenario, you have to be looking early to get the ball out of your hands, get it into the, uh, the hands of your playmakers in space and let them do some damage down the field. You can't just leave the right for defenses to load the box on you all game like they have for the past few weeks. So that's a big boost. And the other part you were talking about, Matt, with the play calling in particular, I think there really might be something to that. And and for as much as we've criticized and I've criticized Michael Floor, and I do agree that there are a lot of things that I think he could have done differently to help his struggling offense. I also agree that I think he's been he's been hamstrung by his quarterback in a lot of ways. And that when you have a guy like Mike White under center, you aren't going to feel as hamstrung. You're going to feel more confident. You're going to have more trust in your execution because, you know, you have a guy taking the snaps that can get things done at a higher level. You have to hope for the Jets that the offense shows up because this is going to be a really, really tough game to win one sided. The Seahawks have a lot of talent on offense. They were banged up early in the week, but they're getting a lot of those guys back as of today as the Thursday night injury report. 
and it's going to be likely a full four Seahawks offense that's been pretty solid all year kept them alive throughout most of the year, dragging along their defense. If the Jets offense can't do anything, it's going to be really, really tough to win that matchup on the road. Seattle is just such a tough place to play. It really is. Uh, well, at the same time, I trust our defense. Uh, we are going to be getting healthy. We're getting Joyner back. Not that I, he, he's shown at times there, during the season that he can make a difference on the field. Um, so having uh, pretty much all of our starters from week one back in in the game, uh, I think is a big bonus. Uh, and I just trust them to be able to go up against this Seattle offense uh, and hold them. I mean, we faced the Lions, who have been really killing it, uh, putting up monster points and yardage uh, the, the second part of the season. And then the Jaguars kind of doing the same. And the defense has been formidable against both. Uh, the Lions, especially even without Quinnen, we didn't really get a pass rush, but we were still able to hold them. Uh, what was the final score on that? Was that nineteen? No, uh, but we, 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 we definitely kept we definitely kept their their offense. Uh, they, they did have the the punt return for a touchdown, uh, so we were able to limit their offense. Uh, and if we can limit those two, twenty offenses, to seventeen Lions, twenty to seventeen, and one of those touchdowns was a special teams touchdown. So exactly. I am confident that they can go toe to toe with this team uh, and really kind of shut them down. And it's really all going to come down to what our offense can do uh, and what Mike White specifically can do. Everybody has the, the biggest complaint is that he doesn't put the ball in the end zone. And I agree. We need to get the ball in the end zone. I don't put that squarely on Mike White's shoulders, though. I think there's been a lot of uh, a lot of factors that go into why haven't we been scoring a lot with Mike White, whether it's penalties not being called or penalties being called on us, or uh, Lafleur being playing uh, coaching timid, throwing screens on third and long instead of trying to get a first down or even a touchdown. Uh, you've got people running the wrong routes. You've got drops. Uh, you've got the offensive line letting free rushers on in on their quarterback. There's starts been starts and holding penalties setting uh, you back. Every every single thing under the sun that could go wrong has gone wrong. Uh, and it's definitely kept us out of the end zone and hurt us in the red zone. Uh, so it's it's all going to come down to can we do the little things right on the offensive line? Can we not put ourselves in long distance uh, scenarios? long yard scenarios can we get a running game so we're not uh one dimensional can we get maybe get some calls go our way instead <laughs> instead of uh watching the defenders manhandle our receivers all day and nothing gets called there's so many things that we need to go right uh but i'm confident that they can and they should i'm confident as well and another reason i'm really confident and i think specifically someone like Mike White should do really well at this. The one thing with the Seahawks defense is for as good as Tariq Woolen is, and for any fear over, you know, is he going to shut down Garrett Wilson? One, I think Garrett Wilson can still get his plenty on Woolen, but their defense, very much like the Jets defense in a lot of ways, as you would expect being, you know, some, uh, Pete Carroll being Salah's mentor, they don't travel their corners at all. Woolen has always played on 
the left side of the field all season. He has literally not played another a, a single snap on the right side. So if you're the Jets offense and you're somewhat scared of that guy shutting down your number one receiver, you can just put him on. You can put Garrett Wilson on the other side and know that he's going to get a different defender and draw someone else in coverage. So you can dictate your matchups. And for this defense in particular, not only do you have the opportunity to dictate your matchups because of their coverage, the rest of the unit besides their secondary has really been struggling, specifically their linebackers, Jordan Brooks and um, Jordan Brooks and Cody. What's his last name? I always forget this. Cody Barton, uh, Jordan, Barton, Jordan Brooks yeah. and Cody Barton have been towards the top of the league and passer rating allowed by linebackers. Jordan Brooks, I'm pretty sure is leading the league in yards allowed by linebackers, period. These guys give up a ton of yards in pass coverage. They really, really struggle to cover down the field. And if you're Mike White, that means get the ball out to your running backs and tight ends in space. That means look for them over the middle of the field. If you're running the play action, you know, glance routes that we've seen the Jets do with their tight ends this year, you could have that open because you're going to have these guys that can get exploited in coverage. For Mike White, above all else, getting the ball out of your hands as quickly as possible and making a threat of the passing attack to where you can't just have a defense load the box, like I said earlier, is so crucial and there's a lot of advantageous ways to do it. So hopefully this is the week that LaFleur can wake up a little bit and and go against the grain of what he's been doing. And instead of trying to ram the square peg in the round hole with the way his offense has been, calling the same place that haven't worked and not really adding any new ideas to try something different, this really has to be the week that things change. Because finally, and this is what where we'll end before we get to the defensive side of the ball, Matt, this Seahawks defense is awful against the run. And the Jets have really been struggling to run the ball. You alluded to it earlier. The Seahawks defense is allowing 155 yards a game rushing. That's staggering. That Besides this past week in Kansas City where they allowed 77 yards in a game where the Chiefs had things controlled pretty much from the beginning of the game and were just kind of coasting afterwards, they hadn't allowed a game an under 120 total yards rushing on defense since week eight against the Cardinals. You have an opportunity as the Jets to right the ship a little bit at the run game. But you're not going to be able to do it unless Mike White can back that secondary off. And once you get out to a lead, you're going to need to run to secure it. So for this offense, it is imperative that you have to get the ball out of your hands early. You have to target your playmakers. Don't be afraid to use your running backs and tight ends and get to your check down. We saw Mike White throw for 405 yards against Cincinnati, basically all off check downs. If that's got to be the game plan early, then so be it. And once you get this defense to back off, you should have some space on the interior to run the football and if you're still struggling to run the football, then you got to be start looking for some replacements or, or looking for people's jobs because it's unacceptable at this point from this offensive line. I know there's been injuries. I know they've shuffled guys all over the place, but three of those dudes that are starting are guys that were starters before the season and set to be starters that everyone was excited about. And they're some of the biggest culprits. It's got to change. It really does. Uh, I we, We've seen this coaching staff kind of, lay the wood and taking uh making people accountable for their poor play whether it's zach uh or uh or like bryce hall uh, uh yeah uh elijah moore sorry uh bryce hall who hasn't even been dressed uh even though Eccles isn't even hasn't been playing uh so that's definitely a, a message being sent but the only position group that hasn't really had that message sent to them is the offensive line uh we have some people uh, standing by that uh, I think can make a difference if we do need to look to the bench to really uh, 
drive home the point that we need better play from these guys. Uh, maybe not so much Feeney, uh, but uh, uh, who's the guy that just came off of IR? Uh, uh, Cedric Abwehi. Uh, I think he, we, with our best game so far on the offensive line was against the Bills with him at right tackle. Fant hasn't shown a damn thing since coming back. I don't know if he's still hurt or what, but he's just hasn't been good. Um, and then if McGovern keeps looking the way he, like he's been uh, playing, then I wouldn't be opposed to moving Herbig inside and maybe uh, uh, Lauren uh, Tardif uh, bring him in. The problem is Herbig's been pretty a, awful too lately. Herbig's been pretty awful too, but at the same time, it, it yes, it, there there might be too many people to replace at this point if they are all playing bad. And then Lakin as well. He's also been playing pretty bad. Uh, I don't know. Who, who's been the best player on this offensive line? I, I, it's hard. Dwayne to Brown. It's maybe Dwayne Brown with his bum shoulder the whole season. If ABT uh, doesn't count because he hasn't played since earlier in the year, then yeah, I guess <laughs> I would say it's AVT. If you count the whole season, if you're counting guys that have started more than what AVT has played, I think it's Dwayne Brown. Yeah, they they all kind of take turns to uh with who's the worst player of the game, um and really it needs to stop and something needs to be done, uh to really make an example of them if it doesn't stop, um I think attacking the middle of the field like I think you alluded to this as well is that is is the key to, to this game, uh I don't see many uh pass rushers outside of uh for uh Seattle outside of Nuosu who uh, can really make a difference at, in, with the pass rush. So I think they're going to probably want to send a lot of blitzes our way. And if they're sending their linebackers uh, as blitzers, I want to attack the middle of the field. Uh, I would send crossers all day until they are able to stop it. Uh, their top-rated uh, defender is also their safety. Uh They've had Adams out since game one after snap 16. So Ryan Neal has really taken on the mantle as their top safety and uh, has really shown up this year. Uh, right now, he might be missing from this game. I believe he's missed two days in a row. Yep. Of Wednesday and Thursday with a knee injury. So if he can't go, that is huge. And that opens up the middle of the field even more. Uh, I would attack it all day until they can stop it. Yeah, you have to have a way to back this defense off. You cannot let them just load the box. I'm going to keep saying it because it's the most important aspect of the game for me, quite honestly, of every offense, defense, special teams, everything encompassing. There's the givens every week in football. Don't turn the ball over. Be efficient on third down. Stay ahead of the chains. Those are all givens. We can we can say cliches, but it is none more important, in my opinion, for this game than having a threatful passing attack where you don't have to be throwing bombs down the field every play, but you have to have something. You have to have some amount of a threat to be consistent in the pass game that you haven't been against the Jaguars and really got lucky on a few plays against the Lions, and outside of that, we're really struggling. You have to have a multidimensional offense. You have to. You cannot win this game being completely shut down in the pass game because your run game just isn't going to be there. Your offensive line is not talented enough to carry the mantle themselves. They can't do it. It would be a lot to expect of them, period. But in general, they haven't been playing well enough besides that. You will lose this game if you are the Jets. 
if you cannot have an efficient offense that can give your defense some rest, that can generate some points, that can sustain some drives, and that can turn this into a real football game to where not having a situation where your defense has to win the entire game by themselves. That is not a recipe for winning football. And if the Jets want to be a playoff team, they need to start playing like a playoff team. They haven't been playing like that the last few weeks. Yeah, you mentioned something there. Giving the defense a rest. I think that's a a nice pivot point to go to the defensive side is that they have had a really tough go of it the last couple of weeks with Zach in that they've been on the field a lot between three and outs and just drives that sputter before they even get started. It's it's just been really hard for them. And you can see how winded they are. Even with all the rotating along the defensive line, you can still see how tired they get, especially towards the end of the game. Um, and still, they've still found a way to be formidable in these situations that the offensive has forced them in. Uh, so, yeah, if if White can sustain drives and score, and I think that this defense should see a turnaround and we will see uh, a revival of sorts to the, where, where they've been formidable in the past few weeks. I think that they take the next step and go back to where they were when they were just lights out. This would be the week to do it. And uh, when you're looking at the Seahawks offense, it is a talented offense. Let's make no mistake about it. But they do have some guys coming back from injuries that had light practices today on Thursday. Likely that they're still going to play. I'm not going to sit here and act like it's a guarantee that these guys are going to be ruled out. But as a running back like Kenneth Walker, who lives so much on speed, agility, and jump cuts, having an ankle injury is tough to come back from. And even if Kenneth Walker's 70% of himself and enough to play but not complete Kenneth Walker, that's going to be a big help to the Jets' defense. That is a tough dude to tackle. That is a tough dude to bring down. And he's been the real spark to the Seahawks offense where he can take a play very similarly to a Brees Hall where you block it well enough to get four and he's going to find a lane to get 40. That's been really tough. And the Jets defense we've seen in the last couple of weeks has had some struggles with tackling. So that's my number one concern for this offense, quite honestly. DK Metcalf is a dangerous, dangerous receiver, and I'm going to get to him in a little bit talking about how the Jets can try and find a way to slow him down. I think he's a tough matchup for regardless of who's going to be covering him in the secondary. But for the Seahawks in particular and for Pete Carroll as a head coach, they always want to win through the run game first and foremost. And if that run game isn't there and you're turning Geno into a one-dimensional passer where you know he's going to be dropping back a lot more, that's playing into the strength of your defensive line. That's playing into the strength of your secondary overall. You can twist your coverage in different ways when you aren't as worried about the run and having to fit the run as well. Once you get into those third and long situations like we've seen from the Jets offense, it's very tough to convert. So if you cannot slow down the run game, if you're the Jets early, it's going to be tough. And all eyes got to be on Kenneth Walker and everyone's got to have their tackling technique down point to make sure that they are not messing up and allowing free yards. It's a, a really important aspect of this game defensively. Beyond that, looking at this offense as a whole from Seattle, they want to win running the football, but when they pass, they've been pretty good at it, and it's mainly been because of Geno Smith playing so well. The difference is Geno Smith, when he's blitzed and when he's under pressure, is a lot worse than Geno Smith when he's kept clean and when he's only going against four rushers. You have a Jets defense that doesn't like to blitz a lot, that's going to want to try and play with four rushers. So if that's the recipe that you're going to play, and I don't expect the Jets to do a bunch of 180s and change a bunch of things overnight, then your front four as usual, like we say, Matt, for these games with the Jets defense, the defensive line is going to have to win. 
they're going to have to carry the game because if Gino has time to stand in the pocket, he's the type of guy that wants to wait in the pocket. He's not going to run too early and he's got the arm strength to throw routes later as they develop and still get them downfield. You have to collapse the pocket around him and you have to most importantly actually get to him because he doesn't care if there's limited space. Gino doesn't care if you walk his tackle in front of him and you take away his lane to step into a throw perfectly. He's going to stand tall. He's going to find a way to get it out anyway, and he's going to try and make a play. For the Jets' defensive line, you have to find a way to finish sacks, and it's going to be going a lot more than just collapsing the pocket. you got to get off your blocks, and you got to find a way to finish. This is going to be a huge game for me for Jermaine Johnson because you're going to have a guy that is going to be playing a lot in the run game, that in sub packages, when the Seahawks are going to run to the edges, that's where they want to get Walker. They want to get him outside to the corner and let him turn up field. You're going to have Jermaine having to be the force player. And then on pass downs, if right tackle Abraham Lucas for the Seahawks is out, who's missed two straight practices with a knee injury, you're going to have a backup at right tackle where JJ might have an opportunity to feast. This could be the wake up game for him. And I really hope that it is because I- I'm. I think he could be a huge, huge component to this defense. Michael Clemens and Jermaine, uh, Michael Clemens and John Franklin Myers as well. I think this could be a huge, huge game for the edge defenders. Uh, Carl is included in that, but Carl doesn't usually play on the strong side as much. And I think that Jermaine can definitely collapse the pocket in the run game a little bit better than Carl Lawson at this point. So I'm I'm really looking at those three guys, obviously Quinnen Williams, but that's expected of him at this point. I'm looking at those guys on the edges to shut down the edge, collapse the pocket, get into the backfield, take away any free free runs to the edge for Walker, and then the rest of the defense to rally and tackle. You have to stop the run first and foremost. You, it's going to be a, a horror show defensively if the Seahawks can do whatever they want in the run game. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, Walker is so elusive uh, that it's hard to bring him down even with a good tackling team. And I don't think we are a good tackling team. When I look at Whitehead, Quincy, Reed, CJ, Joyner, Carter, I Sauce see a lot of either. Miss, Sauce isn't great. I see a lot of missed tackles. I at like high percentages too. It's it's not good. And that's when they're playing against <laughs> running backs that aren't even half as elusive as Walker. So that is gonna be huge. Uh if we can get him stopped before he gets going, uh before he can get to our secondary or the second level. Uh, that will go a long way in stopping this offense. Uh, and you uh, uh, want to talk about more about Metcalf. I, I see a hard matchup, uh, no matter who he goes up against, uh, but especially if he goes up against Reed. I know Reed is, is tough, but uh, he, it's going to be hard for him to really keep pace with a guy like Metcalf. But let, let, me, let me hear what your formula is. Yeah, okay. Um, I was talking about this earlier today on Believe in Jets with Lamont Jordan, so if anyone wants to hear the extended breakdown of this and discussion, you can go check that out as well. Um, This is going to be a really, really tough matchup because you have a guy in DK Metcalf that can win in at all levels of the field and against pretty much any coverage. Where you want to press him, he's got more than enough strength and speed to swat away a jam attempt, and the second he gets by you, you're not recovering. He's too fast. You have a guy who's plenty agile, where if you're playing off against him, he can run slant routes over the middle and he's going to run it quick enough. He's going to break out of his uh, get out of his break plenty fast enough. He's not going to be able to sit there and be lumbering to where a guy can catch back up and, and close the gap between Metcalf and the ball. And even if they do, he's so big, he can box them out at the catch point anyway. And then they're playing from the back. And that's going to be really hard to do against a guy like that. So for Metcalf in particular. 
Lockett playing makes this more difficult because you're going to have two good receivers on either side. If they put Lockett in the slot, that's going to be a tough matchup for Michael Carter. He's a Pro Bowl player. He's been a Pro Bowl player for years. He's a very talented guy. We know who Tyler Lockett is. We don't have to question his talent. DK Metcalf in particular is going to be a guy that you are going to have to adjust your technique, in my opinion, to beat. I don't think it's about changing the coverages so much as it is about changing how you run those coverages. In particular, I want to see the Jets try some catch technique from their corners. And for everyone listening who doesn't understand what catch technique is, when you're in press, you're right up at the line of scrimmage, you're pressing on a receiver. When you're in off coverage, you're about seven to nine yards off the line of scrimmage. You have a big cushion between the receiver. Catch technique is the midpoint between those two, where you're sitting at about five yards of a depth and you are attempting to catch the receiver as they're running. You're not immediately pressing them off the line, but you're not giving them nine yards of a cushion of a free release. If I'm the Jets and I'm looking to defend this passing game, I'm looking to put my corners in catch technique and I'm looking to tell the Seahawks, if you want to go deep, you're going to have to run through us. We're not going to press you with the line and give you the opportunity to beat the jam immediately and go over our head. And it's one at the snap and that's it game, you know, game over touchdown. And we're not going to play off and just let you run slants and curls and, and win underneath for free either. We don't need to be as worried about deep speed. We trust our corners. We trust their ability to win down the field. And so if you are going to try and run, we're going to sit at five-yard depth. We're going to wait for you to come up to us. We're going to get our hands on you. We're going to slow down the timing of your route. We're going to try and squeeze you into the sideline, and we're going to ride out the rest of that play. That's a lot easier said than done. <laughs> and when you are playing that sort of technique the other downside of that and this is what lamont brought up which is why i love doing the show with him because he always reminds me of the things that make my ideas a lot less smart than they sound is you can get be you can get caught with some double moves doing that if you're playing from that catch technique and you get a quick route to the inside you can get the the sluggo the in and out or you could get the out and up and, and you can catch some guys bait uh jumping routes but i'm not looking to jump routes if that's the technique i'm playing with my corners i'm telling them play everything from the top down Come up and tackle. We don't need to be looking to jump balls and go for interceptions every single time. You got the play and you know it's coming. Go for it. But you don't got to be squatting on everything. We're trying to stop the deep ball more than anything else. And we're trying to be sticky on these receivers, not let them get into their releases, not let them get into their routes down the field and extend the amount of time that Geno Smith has to stand in the pocket. Let that defensive line come up and do what they do. Now, here's the interesting thing, Matt, and I didn't bring this up on Believe in Jets because I didn't even think about it until afterwards. So I was saving it for this one, but it's an interesting point that I want to talk about. You have a guy in DJ Reed who practiced against Metcalf and Lockett and all of those guys on Seattle for years when he was just on their team last season mm -hmm. and for a year before that. So you're going to have a guy in DJ Reed that we know very much about him, obviously a very good student of the game, takes good notes, studies receivers knows the little ins and outs of the position and, and the battle that's played between corners and receivers in the league, you're going to have a guy in DJ Reed that's likely going to have notes on those dudes. That's likely going to know how they run certain releases, how they like to come off the ball in certain packages, what they're looking for against certain coverages. You're going to have an inside scoop. And I'm sure DJ Reed being the type of guy that he is, is sharing this with, with the rest of the defensive back room. Now, conversely, when you have those same receivers going up against DJ Reed, well, they know him too. 
and they might know things that he doesn't like. And I'm sure there could be time when they were in practice, however many years ago, that he's sitting there talking to DK Metcalf and going, when I'm doing this and I'm in coverage, I really don't like it when receivers do this. And that could be something that could help your game. And I'm sure DK could be the type of guy to remember that. So you're going to have a really interesting chess match on the outside with guys that know each other well, schemes and coaching staffs that know each other well. The schemes aren't too similar anymore. The Seahawks have kind of gone more to a 4-3 Vic Fangio disciple-esque sort of defense. Um, But at their core principles, the techniques and how they're taught, the coaching style of these uh, coaches is very, very similar. And Pete Carroll is an excellent, excellent DB coach. If you look at his track record through college time, USC before that, in the NFL, what have you, all the dude has been around has been good safeties and good defensive backs. It's basically been his whole career. It's going to be a huge, huge battle on the outside trying to cover these guys at receiver. I think you do it by playing catch. I think you try and let your defensive line get more time to get home and don't give up the free underneath yards and don't try and press and jam at the line and get beat over top. Um, I think that's your best bet. But again, that's a lot easier said than done. And knowing the Jets, I'm not sure they're going to completely alter their technique like that because that's just not how they operate. No. Um, Yeah, I I think that kind of plays into what their strategy has been the whole year is don't let up explosives. Uh, They would rather you dink and dunk them to death and then strangle them in the red zone and force them to kick field goals all day. Uh, And that has been kind of the strategy so far. And for the most part, I think it's gone pretty well. Uh, They're really forcing teams to just take what the the defense is giving them underneath. Uh, And every now and then, we get lucky and the we're, we're able to, to really just put the screws on them. Uh, and yeah, I, I think that's just the only way to, to really defend this team. Uh, because if you let them take, take you over top uh, with Lockett and Metcalf, uh, it's going to be a long day. So take that out of the, the uh, off the field altogether. Uh, make, make them work even harder to beat you over top. Uh, and I, this is not the game to get cute with blitzing either. I, I would be sending our four-man rush all day. Uh, I would be dropping everybody else into coverage and really uh, making it a lot harder for Gino. And I'm just going to trust these guys up front to win their matchups, uh, especially if Lucas is out. Uh, yeah, J, this could be the game where JJ and Huff uh, really make their, uh, their presence felt. Maybe Lawson can get in on it as well. Uh, I, I, I've been waiting for a game where just Lawson can take over. Uh, he's had games where he's kind of uh, showing up a little bit here and there based off of what Q's doing, how much attention Q is getting. Uh, and he can kind of uh, work around that to get some production. But we haven't seen a game where he has actually taken over uh, and, and shown that he's the guy that we brought in, the guy that we were paying all this money for. Uh, and it just hasn't been there yet. Uh, maybe Franklin Myers can have himself a, a day. Uh, he's uh, been the uh, part uh, at top of the league in, in win rate, win percentage uh, up there with Huff. Uh, so if he can get going uh, where if Lawson struggles or if anybody else struggles, we need these guys to come through uh, just to take the pressure off our secondary because they're not going to have a hard job with these guys. They're not going to be able to block uh, to cover all day it's just impossible 
uh, eventually they will get break loose. These wide receivers are too talented. Uh, and Gino will find them. So don't give him all day. Don't let him escape the pocket. Stay true to, to your lanes uh, and stay disciplined. And I think that they have a good shot to execute the game plan that they've really been wanting to execute this whole year. Yeah, I think the, I think so, too. I, I really do think that they can have a bit of a turnaround game this week. You have the Seahawks that have lost three straight, just like the Jets. They've lost five of their last six, just like the Jets. This is a team that isn't rolling. This is a team that's at an offense that's as dangerous as they can be. They've only scored two total touchdowns in their last two games, and both of them came in garbage time. Conversely, the Jets offense has been struggling. And they've had some opportunities where they've let up games and their offense only scored three points against the Jaguars. And they only got those three points because their uh, defense got a sack fumble to start the game and put them in plus territory. So, we got negative yards. <laughs> right, right. And they get the ball in plus territory and went backwards and settled for a field goal. So it's this is two teams that are both desperate. Playoffs are on the line. They know they have to win out to get in. You're going to get everything you could possibly get from both of these teams. It's going to be tough. Can I make a quick off the cusp point before we get to picks and close out with some draft prospects real quick? Um, Something you had mentioned, Bryce Huff. And I had seen that there was a lot of people talking about the last game against the Jaguars saying that Bryce Huff only played nine snaps and that that was not enough and that he needs to get on the field more. Do not get me wrong. Anyone who listens to this show should know how big of a fan I am of Bryce Huff and what I think of his talents. So I don't need to sit there and defend that record. But can we like actually sit here and realize that the Jets were never in a position to rush the passer and call Bryce Huff in in that game? Yeah. That the Jaguars were leading pretty much the entirety of the time. Travis Etienne had like 18 carries in the first half. And they went on, you know, uh, whatever long drive they wanted. They had like 35 plus minutes of time of possession. Like it was this was not the game for Bryce Huff to be coming in a lot because he usually only comes in on those obvious passing situations where he's at his best. And there was very, very few of them against the Jaguars. So um, I've seen a lot of people criticizing that and. I just I, I don't get behind it. Uh, it seemed like that was not analyzing the game as a whole and realizing why that might have been. That didn't seem like as much of a coaching practice to me, but I've seen so many people talk about it this week that it's just driven me a little crazy. Yeah, context matters a lot in these situations. And even in passing situations that the Jaguar, Jag- Jaguars were in, they were really quick throws. They, yes. th- they were really testing uh, our ability to... to uh, stick with their misdirection and they were getting the ball out quick. Lawrence was getting the ball out quick. This was not the game for our edge rushers to really showcase their ability. Um, so yeah, I, I I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Okay. Glad you're in, in agreement there because that's just been something that's been bothering me. Let's get into some picks and then we can close out talking about some offensive linemen looking ahead to the draft. Um, you want to go ahead and lead off with picks? Sure. Uh, I think that we are finally going to be on the upswing here. I think getting White back is going to energize this team. Uh, I think they're going to have a great game plan on offense. I think the offensive line shows up uh, and doesn't kill us, uh, or at least just does enough to to actually let us score a a little bit. Um, I think the defense, uh, they're going to, they're not going to be perfect. I don't think they're going to have a perfect game. Uh, so the the Seahawks will get their their punches in. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be to the point where we're in a shootout. 
so I'm going to say that we win kind of comfortably. Uh, I'm going to say 24 to 17. Okay. Okay, we're we're pretty much in agreement. We're not too far off there. I have it a little a little lower scoring than that, but I could definitely see that being a situation where Jets get up to a touchdown lead and that's the difference in the game. I agree. I don't think that the defense is going to absolutely be completely and totally lights out and shut this offense down, especially if Walker and Lockett are both playing. That's going to make it even harder. Um, looking at things offensively, I do think Mike White is going to have an impact. And I do think that for a coach like Robert Sala, for as good of a motivator as we expect him to be, and quite honestly, as we talked about, Matt, an embarrassing effort the last time they were on the field on Thursday Night Football. As rough as things were with their quarterback situation, there was a lot of other issues and a lot of other as, uh, aspects, knowing that they had their backs against the line, and it just seemed like the free fall was continuing. You've had a little bit of the mini buy now to reset. <clears throat> You've got some <clears throat> energy coming back with your quarterback that you have more faith in coming back into the lineup. You got some crazy things to happen in the games following later in the weekend that kept you in things just as much as you were really before and kind of put your head above water. And so for this game in particular, for Robert Sala, if this is not the game to get your team up and ready to fight, what is? If this is not the game to to go out and be looking to knock people's heads around and make a statement with your offense and, and impose your will on a Seahawks run defense that should statistically and anything more than just statistically is kind of, you know, up in the air, but should be susceptible to getting ran on. I think this has to be the game where if you're the Jets, you have to come out and write the ship and it's going to be tough. You're on the road, you're playing in a hostile environment. But as we've seen throughout most of this year, the Jets seem to play better on the road. They seem to be better when they're in that hostile environment, when they get to be the underdogs and the villain And I think that's going to play to their advantage. You also have a guy in Robert Sala from his time, not only being in Seattle himself, but coaching in San Francisco for so many years. That's got plenty of experience in that building and has got plenty of experience against that head coach. I think the Jets will win this game. I think they're going to right the ship. I think Mike White is going to come back and do enough to keep this offense afloat. I don't think it's going to be amazing. I don't think that... Quite honestly, I just don't think their offensive line is talented enough to completely dominate teams offensively unless they're really, really rough teams like the Chicago Bears, who were even worse than they normally were that game, missing people in the secondary. I'm going 20 to 14 Jets. I think this is a game where both teams get two touchdowns, but I think Mike White leads a couple of drives that get into plus territory. Zerline kicks through a couple of field goals and the Jets win 20 to 14, setting themselves up for Hopefully a win in in, in Miami in week 18. I'm into it. Uh, I I haven't been this confident in a game in a a while. Uh, So not not probably going back to, wow, I don't even know in the last time. I was really coming to the the Bears. Yeah, that's right. The Bears. That was, all right, it's not that far. But uh, yeah, I I am confident that we have what it takes to, to get this win. Um, uh, yeah, I don't think either of us think it's going to be a blowout, but I, I, uh, we don't think that anybody's really going to score like a, a thirty burger on anybody. It's no. it's it's going to be a, a good battle, but I think we we should win this. As simply as I can put it, quite honestly, this is the game that proves whether you deserve to be in the playoffs or not. Yeah, if, this if, is if, a playoff if, game. If, this is a playoff game, right? 
it's you have to win to stay alive. There's let alone anything else happening. First and foremost, you have to handle your business. You just got embarrassed on national television. And how are you going to respond? Robert Sala talks all the time about adversity. Well, here it is. Mm-hmm. And so if you are like, th- that's it for me, where this is not the game to come out and have a different attitude and have a different motivation and and reach into that 60% that Robert Sala talks about to, to pull out a victory at the end, there isn't going to be another game this year where you're going to get this opportunity. So if this isn't the game to get up, then quite honestly, you don't deserve to make the postseason. Yep. Uh, we, we've seen this team play through adversity early. We've seen te- this team play through success early now they're maybe this is like beyond adversity right now this is win and you have a chance to move on this is pairing yourself away from a slump uh so yeah now or never yeah absolutely now or never all right before we get out of here we're going to get into some a little bit of 2023 giraffe talk we're going to get focused on some offensive linemen i think matt you and i both agree that that is by far the jets biggest need this offseason is going to be filling out this offensive lineman not only with some new starters but depth as well um we've seen what the injury bug has done we've seen the unreliability of guys that we were hoping to be reliable so there's going to be uh, hopefully some turnover and some improvement up front because you just cannot go another year with any sort of offense being successful with an offensive line playing the way that they've played. I'm going to toss things to you to kick off here. We got one tackle and one center that we want to highlight. You're going to take on the center. I'm going to take on the tackle. Go ahead and tell us about your guy from Michigan. Uh, so, Oh wait, yeah. no, you're not doing the guy from Michigan. <laughs> like, no, wait, no, switch gears. <laughs> save that, save that for future. Go ahead and tell us about Ricky Stromberg. There we go. Uh, so when I look at uh, Connor McGovern, I see a guy that has great movement. He's got great athleticism uh, to get into space and make plays downfield or get to those reach blocks. And that's all fine and dandy. It's great. Uh, It's probably people looked at him as the perfect center for our wide zone. Uh, But he just doesn't have the strength and the sand in his pants to really hold down this line. Uh, especially with the amount of times we're calling upon this offensive line to get push up front. And he, he's just not the center to do it. I think we need to go in a direction, uh, keep the mobility, uh, but we need somebody with more power. Uh, so my guy is Ricky Stromberg from Arkansas. Uh, the guy has plus athleticism. He's not as athletic as McGovern, but you know what? I'm willing to sacrifice a little bit uh, for a guy that can show some power, show some power behind his punch, show some anchor ability that's not going to just be walked into the quarterback constantly. Uh, A guy that can impose his will every now and then and not just be thrown to the ground like a rag doll. Uh, We need this. We need somebody with a little meanness a little nastiness. Uh, this offensive line has no nasty on it at all. You've just got a whole bunch of hobbled guys going out there just l- looking like they're uh, the, the armless, legless knight from Monty Python right now. It, it's a mess. <laughs> so uh, I think if we can go- find the guy like Ricky Stromberg, uh, who I don't think will go further or as earlier than maybe the, the, the second round, if we're picking in late second, uh, I think uh, it, it, that would be the highest I would probably draft him. I think he would be there even in the third round. Uh, so I don't think we need to 
you know, uh, go out and spend a premium pick like a first rounder on a center. Uh, there's just no center that's worth a first round pick. Uh, and at most a late second. Yeah, no, there's no Linderbaum this year. That's for sure. No, is you know not that I, you had Linderbaum in like the top ten, I think, in your final at, rankings. At some point, um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they're um, final, but yeah, yeah, definitely he was up there. Uh, and that was m- merely just because of of talent in the class, out, not really factoring in positional uh, value. Right. When when you factor in positional value, it absolutely pushes him down. Uh, but as far as talent wise, at his position. In this draft, in that draft, he, I thought he was a top prospect for sure. Yeah, no, he was a good one. He's played well for the Ravens this year for sure. Um, Stromberg is a guy I haven't gotten into on the tape yet, but I'm definitely excited to. Uh, he's next on my list getting through these offensive linemen. I started, we were in opposite land here where I started with the tackles and you started on the interior. And so now we're both catching up on the other end. Um, eager to get into his tape. I definitely agree with you that we need someone more than McGovern that can move the line of scrimmage that can move people out of gaps that isn't going to allow instant penetration and get walked back on run plays or on pass plays and just take away space. So the football in a lot of ways is about winning the line of scrimmage first and foremost. And if you cannot do that, it's going to be really tough to be in a a functioning offense. I agree. I'm willing to sacrifice a little foot speed. I'm willing to sacrifice a little athleticism. We've seen McGovern make some good plays on the move. I'm not trying to discredit that, but I don't think, that as long as Stromberg isn't a completely lumbering and agile athlete, it doesn't sound like according to what you're saying he is, he should still be plenty effective enough to be able to get out on the move when you need him to. And if he's got the strength in his punches, sometimes you don't need to have the perfect amount of speed to get out in front on the reach block. And you can get just half a guy and have the strength to turn him yourself and torque afterwards gets the job done. It gets the job done. So either way, that's going to be effective looking at the tackles. The guy I want to highlight is the consensus top guy in the class. That's Paris Johnson Jr. at Ohio State. And we're in agreement, Matt, on this. He's the consensus for a reason. That okay. there is there is absolutely a reason that this guy is seemingly everybody's OT1, and you're not going to hear anything different from us. The thing with Paris Johnson that's really, really impressive is that he's only had one year starting in college football at tackle. He played guard sparingly as a freshman. He didn't get in right much. guard, too. Right, right guard, and played right guard his sophomore year as well, got in for 13 games, had a good season. They kicked him out to left tackle this past season, and oh my God, he looks like a natural. Then you go back into his background a little more, and you realize that when he was coming out of high school, he was the number one offensive tackle in the country. So you have a guy that's a tackle, and I don't think anyone's questioning that. And when when you see one-year starter, you know, is that going to be something to worry about? Possibly, yeah. But he was a tackle in high school, and after two years of playing guard and playing on a different side, kicks himself back out to left tackle and plays absolutely phenomenally. That's worth note. For the Jets in particular, we've seen how highly they valued Elijah Vera Tucker to where they felt the need to trade up for him, give up you know that third-round picks or whatever it was that people are still upset over two years later. They knew that they needed a guy in Elijah Vera Tucker that had that versatility, that had the ability to play tackle, even if he was playing a guard. And we saw in his second season, not even halfway through, that that came to fruition and he was playing anywhere across the offensive line that could fit him in. Having another guy like a Paris Johnson Jr. that can do a similar thing is going to be really, really good for this. On top of that, the thing that I love about Paris more than anything else 
and it's not a singular aspect of his game. It's just the an entire big picture deal. He is literally, no kidding, good at everything. Every, <laughs> everything. There is not any one area in his game where you look at it and go, that's a weakness, that's a deficiency, that's something that, that he really struggles with. His feet and pass protection are awesome. His ability to mirror and fire out of his stance is great. He can keep up with speed to the edge, no problem. He can counter back inside if he oversets. He has the ability to slow play out to start, realize the guy's going faster than he expects, and kick that into the extra gear and get back to the outside. He can mirror and match on counter moves. You know, there's movement and pass protection, not an issue for this dude whatsoever. He's got strength in his punches. When he latches on, people don't go anywhere. He's got a good snatch and trap when he needs to. And then you go and look at him in the run game, and it's just a freak show. It's just, oh, you're a defensive end and you're head up on me. Well, I'm going to get right up in your chest and I'm going to drive you five yards up the field. Mayon Williams is going to cut behind me and it's going to be for 12 yards. Awesome. Let's do it again. Very next play does it again. Double team on the defensive tackle, the defensive tackle six yards downfield. The power that he can generate while also being so agile and fluid and quick is rare. It, it really, really is rare. A lot of um, mock drafts at this time of the year, it's very hard to be accurate. We're not even through the end of the season yet. We don't have the draft order set. Combine, Senior Bowl, any of that stuff hasn't happened. You're going to see guys move up and down as time goes on. I am here to say, I hope that Paris Johnson is a guy the NFL overlooks a little bit because right now it seems like there's a chance that he could be available in the middle to mid to late of the first round, that there's not quite a lot of clarity in the tackle class besides Paris being pretty high, Peter Skaronsky at Notre Dame being pretty high, and then a few other guys that we'll get into as the year goes on. They're still kind of unsettled at that top of the class, and none of these guys seem like bona fide, surefire top five, top three picks where you're looking at a guy like a Penny Sewell or a Laramie Tunsil, where you, uh, barring, you know, any sort of draft night shenanigans, Tunsil was going to be a top pick. You have a guy like Jedrick Wills that you knew was going to go top 10. There isn't that sort of reputation on these guys right now, but dang, I think there really should be for Paris Johnson. (laughs) Like, like, like it's not one of those deals where just because they're not getting talked about, like, talked about it like that right now doesn't mean they absolutely should be i think johnson's gonna blow the combine up and after that you're gonna start to see him rise but if by some miracle they get in range the jets get in range of paris johnson in the first round i'm running the card in Mm -hmm. as of right now he is my number one draft target for the jets regardless of position yeah i i I would be flabbergasted if we ever even sniff paris johnson (laughs) I don't see it at all. Uh, the worst thing about him is that I don't think that we'll have a shot. Uh, I, I I saw one play against Wisconsin, I think, where he uh, was set up for a speed rush that didn't come, and he saw an inside rusher, and he always just had his head on a swivel. He mm-hmm. sunk his hips and flew across the line and took out this guy. I was so impressed by that. I, I I was I was ready to run up the card right then. It, it it's I I don't see. I don't think the league is that blind to let this guy unless the, unless there's something I'm missing. Unless there's like some injury issues. I I, I haven't really gone into the, the injury history of these players uh, that much just yet. So if there's that, then maybe if if the the medicals come back a little wonky, maybe that can push them. Um, but I don't think the the league is is 
that clueless that they would let no. a talent like Paris fall anywhere outside of the top five, even. You know who he reminds me of the more I think about it? Who? Christian Derisaw. Huh. Was Derisaw it's that as same big? sort of Derisaw was, was bigger. Derisaw huh. was bigger. Johnson's six six three ten at, at listed at Ohio State right now. Obviously, we'll get official official measurements for the combine and everything else. Derisaw was like six six three twenty ish, where Derisaw was a little bit bigger, and I think Johnson's a little bit quicker and a little more explosive. But it's that same sort of steadiness and pass protection, and it's that raw strength to go along with it. To where you have guys that can leak out to the edge and lead block on outside zone and get up to the linebacker and seal or get out on a screen pass and they're going to get 25 yards down the field and then you need them to double team on the defensive tackle the next play and kick them out of the screen, he can do that too. I just I see a big hulking guy with really quick feet and a bunch of power in his hands that moves people off the line like they aren't even there. And it's just it's the same sort of feeling I got in Darisaw. I had Darisaw as my OT2 coming out. And if it wasn't for injuries, I think people he's had a really good year this year. I think people would have realized that a lot sooner if he wasn't hurt. Yeah, absolutely. And when you look at what we have right now at tackle, I don't think this is a position we can ignore. Uh, we have Becton, who hasn't played in two years. Uh, yep. If he can come back, that's great. But I'm not counting on that. You have Max, uh, who's going through uh, some blood clots right now. Uh, we hope he uh, makes a triumphant return, but that's a question mark. Uh, we yep. have Brown, who's had a bum shoulder this entire year. He almost he, retired before the year started. He might retire after this year, for for all we know. Uh, I am not counting on that. Uh, so right now, I'm going to say we have nothing at tackle. Uh, I, I'm desperate for some kind of shining light uh, at this position, but I don't see it. So if we can get a guy like Paris at all, I am jumping on that opportunity. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One hundred and ten thousand percent. I'm like I said, right now, it's the end of December. We're not even into January yet. And Paris Johnson and some mock drafts is available when the Jets pick. I pray to any football God that listens to this show by some miracle that that is going to stay reality in March or in May, because this dude is something else. He really, really is a talented player. And I, I know we're starting at the top and we're going to get into some other guys. There's a couple other guys in this class that we both really, really like that we think could be effective players and first round targets as well. It's not like this is a, a boom or bust situation where a few years ago, Matt, I remember just as this show was starting where we were looking at the, that class and going, oh my God, if they don't get Elijah Vera Tucker, they're screwed. <laughs> and there's and there's no they're not going to have another guard option until round three if they're lucky and none of them are going to be nearly as good as this guy. And this isn't a situation where it's Paris Johnson or bust. But if you get Paris Johnson, then it's a huge, huge boom. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, if we can get a talent like him, it would be only roses from there. Uh, but yeah, like you alluded to, there's definitely it, it's not just him. And yeah, we'll we'll get into those guys a little later. Yep, only got a few more weeks to close out the season, and then it is full steams ahead towards the NFL draft. The show gets back to its roots, and we get back into our roots as well. Thank you guys for stopping by and tuning in. If you want to go ahead and follow the show at OKD Podcast on Twitter, you can also find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. Matt, you know the drill. Uh, Matt, you can find me at Zazzy Jets. Thank you guys one more time for tuning in. We'll be back real soon to review the Jets and Seahawks. Look ahead to week 18 in the final game of the season in Miami. Probably have a couple other draft prospects to uh, break down as well. Thank you guys one more time, and we'll talk soon. Bye-bye.